So we take up our offering every single week, and we do this because God is involved in our life. He's invited us into the fulfillment of his promises, and so we give of our resources, our time, our energy, and our finances back to God so that we're all working at the same place, each one of us investing into God's great plan for our life. And so we encourage you to do that every single week. We encourage you to be a part of every element of of this church. Um, And so let me pray for the service and the offering. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are already speaking to us. We thank you that you are already guiding us and shaping our hearts. We thank you that you have set up uh, a routine. And sometimes the routine of going to church on Sundays feels mundane. It feels easy to drop off. It feels easy to, to oh, well, does this really do anything? But, but in the midst of it, you're shaping us. You're challenging us. You're meeting with us. You're encouraging us. You're teaching us. And so, Jesus, we invite that today. We invite it today as we get into your word. We invite it today as we give of our resources. We invite it today as we align our hearts with with the actions that you are taking in this very, very confusing world. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would guide our step, guide our hearts, and guide our ears as as we engage in discussion today about reading your word. In Jesus' name, amen. It's so important that we are a people that, that read the Word. You know, this, this whole sermon series is about read your Bible, and we live in a world that's moving away from reading. I mean, in a way, because we scroll through, you know, posts, and we read tidbits from, you know, whatever. We, we might read Reddit, or we might read, you know, uh, your Facebook post. We might read an article that a friend posted about some position or some thing that they did, but really we're a culture that's moving away from reading. And, uh, and, and so read your Bible is something that we go, okay, well, do I always have to read? Is that important? But today's question that I want to start off with, I want to start off with, with a question that says, how does your perspective influence the way that you read the Bible? How does your perspective influence the way you read the Bible? And I want to invite you to engage on Slack with this here in the, in, in the sanctuary and also online, wherever you're watching from. Engage us on Slack because it's so important. How does your perspective influence the way you read the Bible? Some of us, the way we read the Bible isn't, um, isn't always the same. Or some of us, we're always approaching every single verse like it's written by the same person at the same time to the same situation. I have three texts today that we're going to read. And each text is very different in its approach. So as we consider the question, how does your perspective influence the way you read the Bible, let's listen to these three texts. The first is Luke 1, 1 to 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having all things closely for some time past, to write you an orderly account for you, most excellent theology, 
that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So I looked then because of the sound of the great words. Oh, sorry. Because you have been taught. Daniel 7, 11 to 12. I looked then because of the great, because the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and the body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away. But their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Psalm 63. O oh God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water... So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. And so this is, this is really, you know, how does your perspective influence the way you read the Bible? It's a really important question that, that sometimes we don't think about all the time. Um, I'm going to switch mics so that you guys don't have to hear the crackling all the time. So it's on. Good. So we're not quite sure what's wrong with the mic, but uh, we're going to change it. So, so what the way we come at the Bible really influences the way that we think about what we're reading. Sometimes my perspective about what I have experienced in the day, I'm going to read the Bible one way, and it influences what I'm reading the Bible. But sometimes my perspective about what the Bible is changes the way that I read the Bible. So I might be at a place where I'm saying my perspective is that it was written a long time ago and has very little relevance on me today, but I read it because that's what my religion says I have to do. And so that would influence how we understand the Bible, how we, how we read the Bible. Our perspective, how we approach reading it, really matters. So we always have to recognize that there are themes in every single book. The Bible is a combination of 66 books. Our, our Bible is a combination of 66 books. And there's a different theme, a different genre in each book. We have to, when we're coming at the Bible, we have to recognize that it's written differently. The three verses that, that I read today are very, very different. The first text that I read from Luke is a history. Luke sets it up and he says, this is going to be a history. You need to know what happened. But you need, to, you need to note that the history that God is teaching or that is being taught is not the way we learn history today. There's a distinct difference. When you read biblical history, they don't follow the rules of current history in the same way. If we were to write a book of history today, we would write a book that starts at the time that we're starting to study, in the space that we're studying it, and then we would move chronologically, time piece by time piece, 
throughout that experience. The historians in the first century, across the board, did not write with that mindset. The historians that wrote the Bible, they wrote with the mindset of, what is important about this person? So they will give you, they will chunk proofs of the person's importance as they're writing the history. For example, the Gospel of Matthew starts off with a genealogy. We find that boring. The first century finds that so important because it proves the importance of who Jesus is. Then we find that in Matthew, the teachings of Jesus are clumped together. And then you go through a bunch of miracles. It wasn't that Jesus taught for a whole period of time and then he stopped teaching and then he did a whole bunch of miracles. This is a historic, the Gospels are written as history that are saying this is the importance of the person. And so history is one genre that we're speaking about when we speak about the Bible. Luke 1, 1 to 4 tells us that I am recording a piece of history. So someone says, when I read the Bible, it's from a historical perspective. Really, really good. You know, um, that is what the way we want to read books like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John, and Acts. We want to read it from a historical perspective. But if we come at the, the book of Daniel and say, this is a book all about history, we actually start to break down. It's, it's, it, it's harder to interpret as history. I looked then because the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed. What? How is this history? Well, it isn't. It's a totally different genre. So we can't look at it like history. We actually have to look at it like what it is. So Daniel is written as a type of book called the apocryphal literature. It's apocryphal. Wow, great. What does that mean? Well, it's not a genre we, we write in anymore. Just like science fiction isn't a genre that they use then. The apocryphal language uses poetry and symbols to communicate hope. And so when we read a book like Daniel or a book like Revelation, we need to recognize that it is apocryphal in its setting. So it's always using symbols, which we go, what is a horn that's speaking? What horn speaks? Like, I don't know the horn that speaks. It's a symbol of power. And so we have to go, oh my goodness, I don't actually fully understand what's happening here because it's a genre that's not used anymore. It's a genre that is of ancient days. It's past. And so we have to say, oh my goodness, what's happening? And that's where we start to pray. We'll get into that in a few minutes. Someone wrote, as a new Christian, I need lots of help and guidance reading the Bible as I feel my perspective is skewed from the way of the world. It's absolutely true. This is what we all do. I've heard somebody say, oh, well, it's not worth reading the Bible because I can't understand it. It's beyond me. Well, this person 
saying, I need a lot of help, is actually correct. We all need help. We all need help in reading the Word because it wasn't ever meant to be an intellectual, personal experience. Don't miss that. Reading the Bible was never intended to simply be an intellectual, personal experience. It's meant to be read as the revelation of God to the people of God. It's together. We, of course, we need help reading it. I need help reading it. I've been studying Scripture my entire life, and I get into conversations with people, and they say, oh, this is what I learned in Scripture, and I go, I have never once in my life seen that. I need help reading that. It's not about the haves and have-nots. The people who fully understand it don't. Such an important point brought out here. We need help reading it. Let's, let's continue on. The Psalms. If, if we read the Psalms like they're apocryphal, something goes as, askew. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Oh, well, no water means that... that um, that there's no chaos. Because in apocryphal language, water is equal to chaos. So, so uh, yeah, that must mean no, no chaos. And, and we get really confused if we put the wrong genre on it. But Psalms aren't apocryphal. They're working under a different set of rules. They're working under poetry. So we've discussed three basic genres of Scripture. History, apocryphal writing, and Poetry. A another major one in the New Testament would be just letter writing. They're just letters from one person to another group of people. That's the majority of the New Testament after the book of Acts. It's letters. And so we see these different genres um, that, we, that we want to work through. Someone wrote... Can we ever fully rid our biases, worldviews, and perspectives when we read the Bible? What a great question. And, and it's, it's a really important piece where we, where we say, hey, how does our perspective affect it? Here's the encouragement that I would have to you. As you read the Bible in community, you're going to discover that your perspective at one point doesn't equal your, your perspective at another point in your life. You are going to grow in your changing of worldview and perspectives and understanding of Scripture. I think that one person wrote uh, about that already. As time goes on, I realize more and more that I apply my experiences to culture, to the, my experiences in culture to the Bible often, and it takes a lot of effort um, to question what am I interpreting here, and in my terms of my current viewpoint, and what does the Bible say? Like, we really need to, um, we really need to, to see the way that, that our worldviews are changing in how we read the Bible. So this has been really good. You know, we recognize that there are themes and, and genres in a book, but now I have the next question for you. When you read the Bible, should you read the Bible literally, or should you apply allegory to the Bible? So, if I read the Bible literally, everything the Bible says is direct, 
absolute, this is exactly what it means right now. A horn actually will speak. This is what it is. Or do I apply allegory and say everything in the Bible is a symbol? Jesus is a symbol for the ultimate ideal of a person. Or, or a tree growing is a symbol of, you know, a, a person who is rooted strongly. When you read the Bible, do you read the Bible literally or is it an allegory, a picture of something that's concrete in your life? So early, early questions, uh, early answers. Someone says both. You're, you read the Bible literally and you read the Bible allegorically. Well, what is the benefit of that? Um, so this is, uh, one person writes, a few years ago we took a guided tour of the town my wife grew up in, and wow, the guide revealed a much bigger backstory to what we thought we knew. It's like the role of a sermon or a Bible study that illuminates deeper truths from the Bible. A tour guide walking through how God has revealed himself is definitely a good image of our gathering as we come together to learn about God. So here's what happens. When I read the Bible as literal, actual fact, historical, spiritual, and social facts, I'm going to contrast the way that the world works today and the way the world worked then. I'm going to be able to see differences in between first century and, and before Christ, the centuries before Christ, I'm going to be able to see differences in the culture then and in the culture now. When I read the Bible literally, this is what I see. And what it does is it, is it causes me to wonder at the power and the immensity of God. If I take the first few books of the Bible in Genesis... And I say, I'm going to read Genesis 1 to 11 absolutely literally. I am going to come at that and say, God is so fantastically powerful and amazing. I'm going to read it like this is awe-inspiring and even challenging to the way that I think about the world. Now, if I read the Bible allegorically... I see similarities in symbols then that can apply to my life now. So famine might represent something in my life right now. Take, for example, the story of, of uh, um, Joseph in the coat of many colors, and he goes and he, he gets sold into slavery, and he goes to, and he goes to uh, um, Egypt. And in Egypt, Joseph comes to power. And, and then he says to Pharaoh, there's going to be a famine in the land. Well, if I read the Bible allegorically, then I could say, this is a warning to me and to our Christian community that there's going to be a season of dry, hard times. That's how you read the Bible allegorically. That's what you get out of it when you read the Bible allegorically. So someone wrote, allegory and literal go hand in hand with what you're reading. It's historical, poetry, or another genre. So 
we say, all right, these things can go hand in hand. And as you said, if you were to study, you know, church theologians throughout the centuries, you would discover that there are different approaches. Someone mentioned Ken Ham here. He said that he doesn't read the Bible literally, he reads it naturally, which is a, an interesting distinction that he's made. But Ken Ham reads the Bible very differently than St. Augustine did. Very, very differently. Well, it's the right way to read it. We read in community with the Holy Spirit. So, this is, this is really, really key for us. When we interpret the Bible, we need to interpret the Bible with each other in the presence of God. This is why promise groups are so important. This is why you should come try a promise group on Wednesday night, starting February 9th. Did you see what I did there? But this is, this is something that we say, yes, we need to be doing this work of studying together. We need this work of, of coming together and saying, yes, we are going to read the Bible together so that none of us is left alone. This is why I love the Read Your Bible in a Year channel. Hashtag Read Your Bible in a Year in our, in our Slack. This is why I love it. Because we're reading it together. Comments, questions, concerns, and even rude innuendo are completely acceptable there. Maybe not rude innuendo. We'll see how the leaders deal with it. So, we do need to recognize the genres in the book. We need to recognize what we're reading. And I want to, I want to just really, really just drive that home for a second. There's a whole group of Christians over the past 15 years, they've gotten louder over the past 10 years, that are once again reading, trying to read the book of Revelation like it's supposed to be literal today. I want to address that right now because what, what's happening is they're not respecting the genre that it was written in and coming out with very different interpretations than what the genre initially intended. And so there's increasing pressure to put those apocryphal books into literal terms. Yet that wouldn't only negate that the books were written to tell the age of the empires. It, we'd also have to, to allow the books to speak. So we have to allow the books to speak to what they're actually speaking to. So these books are speaking about great evil that comes on the earth. And they're speaking about Jesus' victorious overcoming of evil. That's what it needs to mean. It doesn't necessarily mean, I think Hal Lindsey in, in early 2000 said that, that a swarm of locusts simply meant um, helicopters with nuclear, with nuclear uh, arms. That's what it meant. Well, it, Hal Lindsey's using it, an allegory to say, oh, well, this is what it is. And, and, and you know, the, the original person was, was looking at this, and this is what they understood. When we read the Bible, we need to be speaking to the genre that it's talking about. It's talking about God is going to overcome evil. It's not talking about helicopters. It's not even talking about locusts, really. It's talking about God overcoming great evil. And so this is, um, this is why we need to be reading 
together. All the books meant something to their original readers. So when you're reading the Bible, if your interpretation doesn't make sense to the original reader, you might have missed something. So I want to actually give you a story about how this would work. I'm going to use two movie franchises that I enjoy. So the one movie franchise is Oceans. The Oceans movie. Oceans 11 is one of my favorite movies of all time because I think that they got a whole bunch of A-listers that were like, we're going to make a movie that we want to make. And so that was a lot of fun. It was a great movie. So you've got Danny Ocean, who's suave, wearing his business suit, robbing a casino. That's your basic setup. Then you've got Lord of the Rings, another great franchise. And these are really, really good pieces that say, okay, so, so we have uh, a great story. We've got Middle Earth. We've got dwarves and elves and kings and wizards over here in Lord of the Rings. And over here in Oceans, we have casinos and safes and fancy technology and suave business people. Genres. Two totally different genres. Now, if I were to take Danny Ocean's character, and I took Danny Ocean, and I dropped him into the middle of Minas Tirth, right in the middle of where we are in a battle, and, and we've, got, we've got elves and orc, and, and, and we've got men fighting together, and then there's Danny Ocean standing there on his cell phone. Everything breaks apart. It's like Sharknado. It's not supposed to be like that. Everything breaks apart. And so what we need to do... <laughs> awesome Slack comment. Danny Ocean's Fellowship gonna heist Mordor. So this is... This is the way, this is, this is genre clash, but we're reading the Bible like this. This is the way we read the Bible sometimes. And we're throwing different verses into different contexts and just saying, oh, well, this is what the Bible says, so the Bible says it, and I'm just going to take it as it's written, and bam, done. Respect the genres, and we do that in community. We do it in community. There is a whole debate happening on Slack right now if you want to join it. <laughs> I instantly regret mentioning Sharknado. But we can't do to the Bible what the producers did to Sharknado. You just can't do it. So here's a question for application. How can you benefit from studying the Bible in community, personally? How do you personally benefit? How can you personally benefit from studying the Bible in community? Don't do it. Don't Google Sharknado. How can you benefit, focus people, from studying the Bible in community. See, 
One of the ways that we benefit, and I, I, this isn't in my notes at all, sometimes we go off script, and it's funny, so it's worth it. And, and that happens in community. It doesn't happen when I'm sitting reading my Bible alone. I don't get those laugh-out-loud moments. So one of the things that, that we need to keep in mind as you guys answer, how do you benefit from studying the Bible community? One of the things that we need to keep in mind is understanding what style the author wrote it in. If you simply have a Bible that is only text and you're questioning what style is the author writing in and you can't figure it out, either purchase a Bible that has study notes in it. We use the ESV study Bible here at Promise Church. Really, really amazing resource. Um, Purchase one of those because right before the book starts, it helps you out with author and timeline and genre. It just gives you some background so you can go, oh, I know what I'm reading. All right, that's good. So purchasing a study Bible is going to help you. Understand what, auth- what, what style the author writes in. And let the book itself tell you what the book means. Don't use Daniel to interpret Luke. Don't use Luke to interpret the Psalms. Except for where Luke uses the Psalms. Because he does. We need to see the context of what we're reading. And we start with the genre of the book. When, when we read the Psalms, we see that they're unique. They're poetry. They matter. So, reading together helps beneficial conversation and encouraging one another. It absolutely does. Reading together provokes questions. Reading together encourages the exploration of God and learning. And so I want to encourage us today to read the Bible together. Because when we, when we come together and we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And why is that important? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that inspired the whole book in the first place. So let's read the Bible together. God himself is invested in us understanding the Bible. Luke 10, 21 says this, in the same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. We don't need to be scholars to understand the Bible. But we also don't need to be fools. God reveals himself to us as little children. Children learn how things work and they build from there. They start rudimentary and they grow and they build in a surprisingly efficient way. We as children come together. We learn the rudimentary pieces like genre And we learn how to read the Bible differently. And we build from there. Allow the Holy Spirit, the author, to speak rather than treating the Bible like it's all one book, one genre, a religious book. And so we want to make sure that we are reading together. Sharknado continues. I want to bless you all as a congregation. 
I want you to know that as a community, we're a people that want to experience God, and we do experience God together. And when you need God, you also need community. Someone says, that's why, that's what I use. They, they have an ESV study Bible and use, um, use the Enduring Word website. This is, this is so important. And reading together in previous Bible studies with, and with other women have motivated and encouraged me to continue reading and learning more about God and his greatness. And if God reveals his truth to kids, then he can do something with me, right? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you can do something with me. I thank you so much that you reveal yourself through the word of God in the person of Jesus for the restoration of all of creation. And you show it to a child like me. Help us as a community build each other up in our reading of Scripture. Help us as a community have discussions about the Bible, not to, not to ascertain what is right and what is wrong, but to ascertain who you are and what you're saying. And so, Jesus, I pray that our discussions about biblical texts would be ones that breathe your life into them. And that you would constantly show us who you are. We thank you for your work. We thank you for your revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week, and we will see you next week. If you are a youth or a young adult, you need to be here at 7 o'clock tonight. We're going to be exploring more um, of God in a way that your Sunday school stuff didn't it, you wouldn't have understood it if you were in Sunday school. So now you're older. Now you need to build a larger foundation. Come tonight at 7 o'clock, and uh, we will see you then. God bless you.